Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of GUcast. This is uh, Declan Murphy uh, back here at Peter Mac Studio with uh, my co-host, Dr. Renu Neekvan. Hello, Renu. Hello, Declan. Excited about this one? Yeah, very excited about this one. <laughs> you haven't slept, right? <laughs> well, I did, uh, you know, because this topic we're about to speak about, there was another podcast dropped yesterday. Oh, better go and have a listen to that and oh, hear what they said. Yeah. And, you know, oh, God, more tweets have come out. So, yeah, we wanted to be, you know, right on the button before we invite our special guests on this topic Absolutely. today. Absolutely. And uh, we've, we've got our Twitter scout with us. <laughs> yes. And uh, so s- regular listeners might remember a few months ago, we introduced a new segment uh, with our registrar, our fantastic registrar, Dr. Aoife McVeigh. Hi, Aoife. How are you? Hello. Yeah, I'm good. I'm glad to have, yeah. Welcome have you back. back. Declan, yeah, yes. glad to be back on the on the podcast. I feel like the studio's got even more, you know, technologically advanced since I've since the last time I was here. So. Yeah, Probably more kid, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, more kid. Don't tell my wife. <laughs> <laughs> the school fees are going on kid, but uh, Aoife it does a regular segment about what's happening on Twitter, um, and because she's young and more connected, and uh, some of this stuff is to do with GU, some of it's not to do with GU, but yeah. we never know. So Aoife, what what caught your eye on Twitter this week? Yeah, so this week it was actually um, courtesy of our fellow um, from Thailand, um, Pete. So he had oh shared yeah. a video yesterday and I thought it was really, really cool. Um, obviously in Thailand, robotic surgery is sort of picking up. Um, Pete had said that three centres have robots now. There, I think there's four in the whole country. Two of them are in Pete's hospital and wow. he's been obviously trained here and he'll go back and bring his skills there. Um, but to try and promote robotic surgery, there was a really good video of, um, I don't know if you've seen the TV show the Squid Squid, squid Game, game yeah. yes, <laughs> and there's a there's a task where they have to get the cookie, and yeah. they, they have to um get the shape out of the cookie, out of the and cookie, you yeah. know that's with varying difficulty, and they actually did that with a robot, which was great. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's definitely worth a watch, and yeah, I think not quite a, as impressive as Declan operating on the grape, say, but it's yeah. you know it's still impressive. I feel like they may have taken a bit of influence from your great video, <laughs> but yeah. nonetheless, yeah, I thought that was that was pretty cool. I enjoyed right. watching that. Fantastic. Well, we'll, p- we'll post that up on the YouTube channel as well for yeah. people who want to yeah. see. So this is how you promote robotic surgery in yes, Thailand. Yeah, uh, absolutely, yeah. 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 So remind me, what happens in Squid Games in the end? A lot of people die, don't they? A lot of people die, yeah. <laughs> that isn't a happy ending. It's pretty, it's very good though. But Enjoy one survives, so that's, one, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, <laughs> well, we uh, we wish um, the Thai hospitals all the best with that promotional campaign. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If it works, we'll all be yeah. onto it. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Anything else from you, Eva? Yeah. Um, no, I don't think anything else controversial happened on Twitter this week at all. It was really, <laughs> Did she say that? really <laughs> quiet. <laughs> Which brings us into today's topic. Thanks, Eva. Sit in <laughs> yeah. if you want. Um, yeah, I'll listen in for a bit and then yeah. duck off to theater whenever I have to. So that's a that's a good segue to yeah. the topic. So yeah. you you've got a well, you know, it's um, I, I feel like it was just yesterday that we all sat here enraged about the fact that NCCN dropped active surveillance as the preferred management for low-risk prostate cancer and you know we sat here and really vented with our favorite active surveillance urologist in the world Matt Cooperberg <laughs> <laughs> and then months later when NCCN reversed that we all we were very happy all was right with the world but here we are again yeah <laughs> So Twitter storm Enter first. Enter act. Yeah, so tell, tell us, uh, you know, should we go through some of the tweets and then we'll find out what it was all about? We'll do yes. it in backwards order. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the uh, yeah, it's, it's a little bit backwards, but, you know, the tweets have been crazy. So the, the attention this has had is incredible. Maria Rabal, I liked it. Very simple. Sincerely shocked. Shocked. So maybe we should talk about the trial a bit. Because we should talk it was, about the trial. A, a, a randomised trial was published this week uh, in JAMA Oncology. And, and it we was do love randomised trials. And we love randomised trials in JAMA Oncology. Yeah. Yeah. And it was um, uh, taking an active surveillance population, so men who don't need active treatment, and it was randomised to, yes, active surveillance, as we all love doing, as Matt loves doing, yep. uh, versus they called it active surveillance with... Plus 
Enzalutamide. Enzalutamide, <laughs> which is not surveillance. It's an anti-cancer drug. We'll go through the detail in a few moments, but let's let's look at the reaction to this uh, this study being published. Yeah, yeah. So so from from Dr. George, has someone redefined the term active surveillance? <laughs> uh, oh, Jonathan Verma said we wouldn't accept a study that was active surveillance plus surgery, active surveillance plus chemo, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's no such thing as active surveillance plus anything. Uh, what else is there? Um, there is, oh, <laughs> Jeremy Grummet from Australia says, subjecting low-risk patients to systemic side effects of enzalutamide is daft at best, cruel at worst. <laughs> and he also can't get past the no MRI before first biopsy yes, as, he as did a side note. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, what have you come across, Declan? Yeah, there was a bunch of them. Um, somebody's commenting uh, that uh, AS is not treating prostate cancer with low biological potential to avoid unnecessary side effects without losing the opportunity for a cure using ENZA or whatever contradicts the basic principle of not treating. So a lot, a lot of people, that was the theme, hold on, you know, don't call it active surveillance plus enzalutamide. It's not active surveillance, it's active treatment, uh, etc. cetera. Um, uh, uh, Mooded Chowdhury, rather, this is using a not cost-effective and not curative treatment with not insignificant uh, side effects. Um, there was a lot of talk about but side effects. I mean, a lot of people had issues with the ethical considerations in this trial. Yeah, I think some people call that and a lot of people push back saying, well, hang on now, this was a well-conducted trial, IRB approved, et cetera, et cetera. But people felt strongly that, look, this is not a trial that should be done. So we want to talk about that side of it as well. Um, uh, Eleni uh, Estacio said, I'm concerned to consider a pretty toxic from a fatigue standpoint approach, especially for uh, elderly patients. Uh, and Clive Fatigue is not quality of life? Yeah, and I, I, had to, I noticed uh, Clive Peedle, who's a, a very well-known uh, clinical oncologist in the UK with a very large following on Twitter. Uh, Clive was, you know, definitely quite upset about it and he weighed on in with a bunch of tweets um he comments about the last line in the conclusion he said it would be hilarious if it wasn't so serious quote enzalutamide may provide an alternative treatment option uh, for patients <laughs> undergoing active surveillance so we're back to that contradiction of well, hang on you know enzalutamide is not active surveillance uh, yeah. uh, etc um uh, you know it must be retracted uh, said clive uh, pedal as well uh, there should have been a more appropriate editorial, like from someone who's a radiation oncologist or a urologist who actually manages active surveillance. Um, so he had a little bit of criticism of that. But there you go. There's, there's lots to talk about, isn't there? Yeah, I can see one of our guests taking his headphones finally off because he's... <laughs> <laughs> Shall we introduce our guest? We should. Uh, well, our first guest is a great friend of the podcast, uh, professor of urology at UCSF San Francisco, Matt Cooperberg, great proponent of active surveillance. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you, I think. <laughs> and he did, con he did contribute a good uh, Twitter thread as well. You know, you were very good, Matt, well-known on Twitter, and you did contribute uh, some good comments uh, on that there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so thanks for coming back on. And also, um, uh, new to the podcast, uh, uh, urologist joining us from Washington, uh, Keith Kowalczyk. Uh, Keith, very welcome. Actually, we've got a lot of noise on the line. Should we we do. I don't know, is that um, uh, Keith's side or Matt's side? Can you guys hear a big hum? Uh, we might I hope it's not me. Oh, it's just... Uh, it went there, whatever happened. Uh, it's That's gone. gone. It's, it's gone now. I'm it's on my end. I'll, I'll mute when I'm not talking. I'm, I'm on a uh, clinic computer, so... Yeah. Oh, it's actually, it's actually fine I'll, now. I'll keep yeah. It's better now, though. Uh, oh, interesting. Okay. okay. 
fixed. All right. Do whatever you guys Excuse us, folks. Yeah, welcome. Um, uh, I feel like we're in Squid Game now. I'm nervous. Uh, Keith, uh, you're very welcome. Uh, Keith's a a urologist. Um, He's the interim chair of urology and the director of urologic oncology uh, at Georgetown University Medical Center. And uh, yeah, great. Thanks for joining us, Uh, Keith. Great to have you on the podcast. And you made some very uh, good comments on Twitter. So it's great to have both of you here. And uh, and we want to get Matt to talk a bit about the paper. And then let's talk about some of this reaction or, you know, let's talk about the way forward or what good yeah. things we learn from this trial yeah i think matt if you could give us a little rundown of the enact trial sure sure and i you know so first of all in background and, and disclosure i think the reason i got pulled into the twitter conversation on this i was part of the steering committee for the trial um and you know was you know, compensated to a limited degree by Stellis for my role on the paper um i had some input into the design of the trial i'm certainly not going to lay claim to every word in the manuscript or all the language in the conclusions um but you know this is a trial that i was happy to be part of because you know as you guys already said in the introduction you know we are not where we need to be yet with active surveillance and you know figuring out uh, better ways to management has always been you know has always been uh, great interest of mine, um, you know, because the fact of the matter is we we can say, and, and look, I may put 95% of my lower risk men on, on surveillance. That is not what's happening in the country. And figuring out ways to improve patient comfort, clinician comfort, thinking about strategies that are intermediate between active surveillance and radical therapy uh, deserve study, you know, deserve research. Um, and that was you know, my motivation for being involved with this in the first place. So this was a phase two open label randomized trial. Um, and let's be clear about that. Nobody is proposing to take this to the FDA. Nobody is proposing to change NCCA guidelines based on this trial. And that was never attempted. This was exploratory. Um, it's a phase two open label randomized. Um, there were 115 men roughly randomized to receive enzalutamide standard dose for one year. Um, 114, 113 in the control arm who were managed with fairly typical active surveillance. Um, treatment was for one year, and then there was a biopsy at one year per protocol, and again at the two-year mark in follow-up. The primary outcome was pathologic progression, so increase in the Gleason grade or a at least 15% increase in the volume of cancer as assessed by the number of cores or progression to treatment. Um, secondarily, there was interest in the negative biopsy rates at both one and two years, um, as well as, as uh, progression to treatment. And at the one-year mark, as men were finishing their ends of treatment, um, the primary endpoint was met. One could certainly argue this would be predictable based on the mechanism of the drug and what's known about AR-directed treatments um, in localized disease. Um, 46% of the men um, in the uh, control arm met the progression uh, definition. Um, versus with a, with a hazard ratio of 54 for those on AS. And it was about a three and a half fold decrease in the like, in, sorry, three and a half fold increase in the likelihood of negative biopsy over one year as well. Now at two years, these results, these differences are already starting to fade. There is a non-statistically significant difference in the negative biopsy rate favoring, you know, the end to arm, but again, not statistically significant. And there were predictable side effects, fatigue and gynecomastia being the prominent ones among them, which again, I think would have been which we did predict you know, at the time of the trial launch based on you know the many, many thousands of men that have received this drug with advanced disease. Um, this was, I would point out, one of the first times that the drug's been given to men not on ADT. 
Um, and it was, you know, an opportunity to, to look at the side effect profiles in a younger, healthier cohort than those who have received it as, as you know, through the larger phase threes that have been done in advanced disease and through the course of standard care in the recent years that the drug has been on the market. Great. So good, yeah. good summary. Um, and we'll definitely get to the toxicity and all that. But first, the endpoint yeah. got yeah. a bit of interest, uh, Keith, yep. didn't it? And, Pathological, um, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Pathological progression is, is the primary endpoint. Yes, so it was if they, yeah. you know, on that repeat biopsy, if they had uh, a change from grade group one up to grade group two, or if they had a, an extra core involved, and that brings questions about MRI targeting a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, from a meaning, from is that a meaningful endpoint, Keith, I suppose is what a lot of people think. Is that a real recognized endpoint? Uh, here's what Vinay Prasad had to say about it yesterday. This has been basically pulled out of someone's ass because this is not really a thing. So it's been pulled I out of someone's ass. I wish really tell us how we felt. <laughs> so, uh, Keith, perhaps a little bit harsh, but what do you think about that endpoint? Is this meaningful for men who... Can I, can I say something about Dr. Prasad pulling things out of his ass? That's yeah. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> that's Vinny Prasad, by the way. Uh, Go ahead. He's, colli- your, he's your colleague. He's a colleague. At <laughs> like, I know, I know, I know. We can talk about PSA screening and uh, COVID policy and all kinds of other things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, Vinny, he's been on the podcast, but he's a friend of our podcast. So, but that, that endpoint... Um, oh, absolutely. absolutely. If you've got... If you've got uh, Low risk patient coming into the uh, the clinic. Uh, Keith, is that? Do you think this is a meaningful endpoint uh, that that worries us? Because that's part of the narrative in the background. I think we're yeah. you know this. Oh, well, look, come on, patients are worried. Um, and uh, Neil Shore was on a podcast yesterday talking about that. There's a you know there's a lack of fidelity, and patients are on websites thinking, oh no, you should be treated, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Uh, is it being driven by something like oh the risk of the the the, the biopsy having a little bit of extra grade group one or uh, or a change? Yeah, I mean, it's not pulled out of someone's ass, as Brene would say. I mean, we obviously, as urologists, look at these endpoints very, very carefully um, with the number of cores being positive and and all of that to to see prognostic factors on whether people are going to progress. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't be that harsh to it. But what what bothers me is that if you do have what what this study would call a progression, a, a pathologic progression, they divide it between pathologic and therapeutic, right? Um, and technically you could go from low risk to favorable intermediate risk. And that would be a failure in this paper as, as far as I understand it and correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but in, in a, a large cases, that's not true. We still do. And we still do active surveillance in favorable intermediate risk disease. So how many of these patients were actually upgraded from Gleason group one to Gleason group two. The other problem I have is this appears to be this next biopsy was actually what most people would consider the confirmatory biopsy, where these patients were randomized at their first biopsy. At least that's how I read it, Matt, and you can correct me. And we know from Canary Pass, others, that, you know, there's a there's upstaging, you know, up to 30% upstaging in, in some of these patients. So was were these really truly a... A pathologic upstaging, or was this just what they were, just missed disease before? So mm. I do think that the goalposts were set up a little bit here, where a lot of these patients probably still didn't need treatment, even though this endpoint would have been, yeah, we reached our endpoint. They they progressed to to low to to favorable intermediate risk. So it's a good endpoint, but also I think it's very glossed over in the paper. I mean, that's one of my problems with the paper is that. It, it's very simple, which is nice. I like reading simple papers, but there's a lot of stuff that's left out that I really want to see. Um, and that's just one of them. Also, that's where we need to, th- you need, you know, oh, sorry, go ahead. sorry, Matt, I was just going to say, cause that term progression is used quite heavily in this and in the narrative, mm-hmm. but you know, 
many AS people don't use the term progression when someone changes from grade group one to grade group two. I, when I speak to patients about that, I call it reclassification. Yeah. Partly for that reason that Keith just said, because, you know, it's a confirmatory biopsy. And, you know, especially if you've had an MR, and I think a quarter of the patients uh, did have an MR before the second biopsy, you know, you're going to target, you may find that thing versus the random biopsy initially. And it was always there is kind of my, my way I explained that to patients. Well, it's been reclassified, maybe it changed a bit, or maybe actually uh, this is just a, the correct thing. And it, yeah. and it may not <laughs> matter very much, but the, 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 the term progression is a term we use in oncology and, and uh, uh, you know, when people have metastases and so on. But I think in the AS population, lower-risk AS population, I, I, I actually favor not using the term progression and, and just we describe it's been reclassification and sometimes that leads to a change in management recommendations and so on. But uh, sorry, Matt. No, I was just going to say, I, I think all of this conversation is part of the broader conversation around this trial, which is that this was not a canary pass research study. This was not an academic center research study. And if you think about why this trial was done and in which patients in which contexts, you know, all of us can sit in this room and easily, you know, argue that all these men, including the gleason grade group twos, should have been on straight up active surveillance and would have been absolutely fine. Uh, but the fact is the country and the world even does not really see it that way and certainly did not in 2014, 15, when this trial was getting uh, planned. You know, at that time, active surveillance rates in the U.S. nationally, according to Aqua data, was still like 30, 40% for low-risk disease, never mind for the Gleason grade group twos. Even today, we're at 60-odd percent. It's huge progress, but we are nowhere near where we need to be, and there's extreme variation at the level of the urology practice and urology practitioner in terms of comfort with surveillance and likelihood of a man actually going on active surveillance. Not only that, uh, there was a, a um, presentation from uh, the Chicago group, Scott Egner, looking at comfort levels with active surveillance. And it's kind of shocking how many, even sort of self-described academic uh, urologists censoring a survey still don't recommend surveillance for all of low risk disease. So, there is a still a major problem with overtreatment of these cancers. And this is certainly true in the US. It's true in other parts of the world as well. I realize it's better in the UK, better in Australia, but even you know, even within Australia, from from you know, at least last time I was there, there is variation from locality to locality and center to center. Um, still surgery happening for Gleason 3.3, radiation therapy, focal therapy, et cetera. So you know, this is very much about what was the community standard, what is the community standard, and are there things short of surgery, radiation, focal treatment that, you know, may have a conscionable <laughs> level of toxicity. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Ben. I'm about to explode. Yeah, yeah me okay. too. Me yeah, too. exactly. <laughs> but I'm seeing Keith <laughs> going, I'm going to say something. Go okay, on. Matt, let's all go. How is enzalutamide <laughs> yeah, yeah. better than, like, how, how are we you know, reeling people back into active surveillance by giving them a systemic anti-cancer therapy with really bad yeah. side effects. It's only been seen in metastatic cancer. How is that better than yeah. localized okay. treatment? And it's not good. I, I don't think that's what this how, is. How are we honestly. de-escalating? How are yeah, we de-escalating? You know, I don't think that's what this trial was intended to do, actually. You know, this is not about recapture. First first of all, you know, there's a lot, we, there was a lot of discussion before the trial, you know, what is the optimal duration? You know, there was a lot of discussion, is a year correct? You know, should it be less, should it be more? You know, there is a concept that if this was really going to take off, you know, a couple of things. Number one, you know, should it be cyclical therapy? You take it for, you know, a month, a year or something like that. Very different trial, obviously. Or is systemic the right way to do it? You know, Neil brought this up on the, your amigos, 
uh, podcast, you know, local delivery of these agents is something. It's actually the company he mentioned is actually a spinoff from UCSF, Pam Munster here. Uh, the idea <laughs> Are you of okay, Declan? <laughs> He's all right. He's just uh, having a little heart attack. Keep going, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I, I think I know there's some trials going on this early about this. Uh, you know, giving these these medications locally, maybe another form of focal therapy, as it were. So look, I am not again. This is not something that we're going to do at UCSF. It's not something I'm going to do. Um, but if you tell me as a, you know, is it better to do a prostatectomy for Gleason 6 cancer or, you know, or potentially use systemic treatment? I'm not sure that we have that answer. And that's not how the trial was done, right? Um, but I think the, the, the hope was to try to, uh, what the hope was, I think, was going to be that there would be more of a pathologic response at the two-year mark. And that by doing this, we could really kick the can further down the road, such that radical therapy would not be necessary or could be delayed very substantially. Um, you know, can we conclude that based on the current study? I'm not entirely sure, but, you know. But, 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 Go ahead. but, but, but the, the thing with surveillance <laughs> is kinda, not yeah, to... We're all just kind of here with our mouths open. Yeah, it, it's... Yeah, look. Where's all that? It's almost like you are, I mean, uptake of active surveillance is definitely a challenge. Yeah. We've all recognised this. Yeah, as you, exactly. Um, but I feel like this goes against the, ho- I mean, this is, this is holding back the, the active surveillance clause. Um, I mean, you are, you're basically saying that there are patients who um, may seek other treatment and we are going to try and prevent them from seeking other treatment by giving them treatment. And maybe this is better than the unnecessary prostatectomy. But wouldn't you think that the solution to the problem is, you know, do active surveillance better, support clinicians and patients Manage their better. expectations exactly. and their anxieties. Not, not over-treat Don't them. give them a toxic exactly. candy to bribe and, them and I'll give not you a, to go into active, you know, I'm just thinking treatments. of it. There's a very nice trial that we finished here last year. In fact, we, we had them on the podcast. It's a trial called the Navigate trial. Yeah. And Navigate was a prospective uh, randomized trial uh, of patients eligible for active surveillance, exactly like this, low risk or favorable intermediate risk. And it was run by psychologists, by Penny mm. Schofield and team. Yeah. And it was based on the... Exactly as we all agree, the fact that some men and clinicians can be anxious about this. So the standard of care arm was people get literature from the Prostate Cancer Foundation of Australia to support the role of active surveillance. So what you might get in community practice. But the intervention arm had an extremely well-resourced website called the Navigate website, beautiful videos where you would literally click, 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 and you do quality of life measures along the way. Um, you know, what an- causes anxiety? Are you worried about sexuality? Are you worried about death, etc.? And And there were all these videos about intervention as well as about treatment. And the, the, the study is due to read out very shortly, but the aim of the study was to see in men and their partners uh, going on active surveillance would enhanced surveillance, would a better resource to support your decision, yeah. um, improve your well-being, decrease your stress levels, et cetera, et cetera. But wouldn't you think that's a better thing to do to try and make active surveillance more acceptable and less stressful for people rather than say, you know, let's over-treat the, the same group of patients? Um, yeah. Keith, maybe I'll, you, you'd pitch in. I know you wanted to say something else about yeah. that. I mean, that's exactly where I'm going. I mean, let, let, let's kind of look at the elephant in the room and that this was a trial that was, you know, funded by a very big company that made this drug. Um, and, you know, the disclosures of every author works with it, as Matt, as Matt said. And, um, you know, this, this is money that could be much better used elsewhere. Um, like you said, like yeah. you, you getting resources in the community uh, rather than giving enzalutamide, which, you know, in 2015, I know Pernay had a, a quote, you know, this costs something like $130,000 a year if you're going to use it. Yeah. Why, why are we not using all of these medications 
to go into the community and make people more active, aware about active surveillance and comfortable with it or giving, you know, more. you got a soundbite I can see that you want right now. Well, why, why ah, because it's a good why, thing you why, brought that up. While you're on your point, yeah, because the cost thing is one thing. I think it's very secondary to the whole principle of over-treating this group of patients. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Vinny no, no, no. did but the, on the calculations. This is what he said. Um, the number needed to treat here, if you just looked at therapeutic progression, is 27, which puts us in at $4.4 million of uh, enzalutamide to avoid one therapeutic progression, whatever that may be, whatever that may be. This is pretty much the dumbest calculation I've ever seen. There's no health system on earth that would be so stupid as to ever make this make this a calculation. You'd bankrupt your society, you'd overdrug your population, and you would barely be avoiding these events in the future. There you go. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean <laughs> and that this is in the US where that sort of but stuff at, seems but to at the same time, as you said, giving people a systemic therapy in a study which showed 90% adverse effects, yet in the manuscript wrote that it was well tolerated compared to metastatic men. It's completely glossed that over. Um, and also using a therapy that we actually use as an endpoint in primary therapies to avoid. So it, it's, I, I, I'm just, I'm still confused. I have so many questions. I mean, uh, even if you just and look that, at And the, that being. Yeah, I, if you I'm just, just look at being the, like the. Sorry, go ahead, Keith. Matt being like the godfather, uh, absolutely huge advocate of, of, you know, active surveillance for 20 plus years. I feel like it's my dad just told me Santa Claus doesn't exist anymore. So like we, first of all, we, we ran a what trial. Is it, what is it know? telling patients yeah. that we might yeah. not trust active surveillance by giving them enzalutamide? That, again, that is not the point here. It really is not. And I, you know, first of all, I, I could not agree possibly more yeah. that you know the right move is just doing surveillance better we actually ran a trial just like what you're describing a 2012 dod uh, grant um, doing exactly this better web support we actually had live coaches as well helping men come to better decision making around this this diagnosis i we, we agree completely i would also say the reality is we're not getting that message out to the community and we've been trying for many many years we and lots of other centers have been trying to get this message out to the community i think there's some sense that you know what really kind of forced american neurology to finally change was the u.s task force um you know the, the notion that if we didn't stop over treating we were never going to retake the conversation about screening um which i think was Quite largely true. I'm sure you know there were other factors that led to the to the task force revising their statement, but they explicitly cited uh, the capture data that active surveillance rates were improving in the U.S. in going from a D to a C. So you know, and despite that, we're still at sixty percent. So you know, we can shout until the cows come home that everybody should be on surveillance. And again, you know, in my practice, you know, this is where I'm at ninety-five percent or more of the grade group ones and a very high chunk of the grade group twos, you know, these low volume three fours go on AS and it's not augmented with anything, you know, any other systemic treatment or focal therapy or otherwise. I think there is a broad problem out there with overmanagement of these patients. I think there's a over, you know, over discussion of focal therapies and surgery, radiation, all the rest of it. And again, I'm not, I'm not advocating for enzalutamide as an alternative to active surveillance for these men. I think the point here was to consider an alternative, um, you know, for situations where men are just not comfortable. Now, again, so you're treating discomfort with no. enzalutamide. We treat discomfort with proton therapy too. Let's be real, <laughs> okay? I'm totally so serious. Is, now, talk about a waste of healthcare right. resources. 
You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that this is going to be a big part of our practice at UCSF by, by any stretch. I'm saying if you think about how we manage low risk disease as a society, certainly in the U.S., um, you know, and I look at this toxicity profile and the cost, you know, is this something that we're going to do in academic practice or in any of our practices where surveillance has been our standard of care for a decade? Probably not. But, you know, compare this to IMRT for all these patients, you know, cost is not so different and the side effects at least are reversible. So I'm, I mean, again, I'm not advocating for it to be used routinely. My, the, the point here is, you know, as a, as a interesting alternative. And look, I would, I would also make the other point that to my knowledge, nobody at us is going to the FDA or the NCCN to get this, you know, onto yeah, the standard Matt, of care. You know, this is I phase mean, two. Why, why else would you do this study though? You know, like this, is, if all the authors are saying they're not going to implement this in practice and no, there's no way this is going to go to the FDA. Do you really think Pfizer is not trying to get this in and put it to the FDA? I mean, it, and and they're also this has been looked at before. People, you know, you you mentioned the Redeem trial. You know, it's been looked at before. People have looked at bicalutamide. Morgan Repair's group reported Lupron in these patients. So it's not the first time. It's not the it's you know, and all of a sudden this is published in GM Oncology and funded by Pfizer. And it, it's I agree with you. We need to do better. But how is saying enzalutamide is that, but we're just looking at alternatives. Like how, how can you put out a paper and have your name on it? And then people in the community are now going to see this, you know, they're not going to talk to Matt Cooperberg and say, Oh, but he's not going to do this. This is just exploratory. They might see this and be like, now I'm just giving enzalutamide to everybody. And, and, you know, the uptake, the and the uptake of it doesn't have to be high. All it takes is a small population of physicians and patients to take up this drug. I mean, just looking at the toxicity profile, you know, the, if you look at all the toxicities, um, you know, there's one in, one in five patients have erectile dysfunction. A quarter of the patients have breast tenderness. Over half of the patients have fatigue, which is serious. It has a serious impact on quality of life. 30% gynecomastia. 35% with 30% with breast tenderness. So you say to the patient, you've got great group one prostate cancer, we're going to put you on the drug, you're going to be very tired, your breasts are going to be sore, you won't have good erections, uh, but your PSA will go down a bit, and then after a year it's going to rock it up again, because that's the other thing that yeah. maybe Keith wants to talk about that. But yeah. the, the toxicity is pretty severe, and, um, and I think we have to stop talking about, well, the alternative is, you know, of course, they might get inappropriate treatment, but isn't the answer make people feel more confident about surveillance rather than you know, pushing down the PSA and making them sore and tired. And, and, I, and Neil on Euromigos was saying, oh, yeah, but you can treat the gynecomastia with a bit of radiotherapy, a bit of radiotherapy to the breast. You know, jeez, oh, <laughs> we're, we're now on the slippery slope of yeah. don't worry about that, yeah, one yeah. in three chance of big sore breasts, um, uh, but your PSA will go down for a while. And, and we can radiate uh, we the breasts. Can, we can radiate the breasts, yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah. And uh, if, if you're giving this to anxious patients already, that yeah, PSA rebound true. that you see, that's going to prompt patients to continue the treatment yeah, forever. Keith, what do you think about that? Because that that um, that uh, graph in that was impressive. In the paper that, that you know you were on treatment for a year, and yes, statistically the PSA came down uh, yeah. in those men that were on. But then as soon as he came off, figure, it, whoa, it, it rocketed up, didn't it? Uh, this graph here for those just you watching the minute you stop you stop enzalutamide, yeah, it just crashes, and I think that's somewhat predictable. You know, I, I think the authors knew that would happen, but I would think that would increase anxiety. For sure. Yeah, and, and maybe and push people into, push. you know, proton therapy or whatever it's going to be. So push them into therapy. therapy. Oh, I mean, it's just terrible. And, whereas if and you also, just, are, we, yeah. are we masking high-risk disease as well? There are some of these, you know, PSA balanced is a real masking of high-risk disease. And are they going to develop it when they wouldn't have otherwise? I don't know. But 
Yeah. Matt, in, in, uh, on Euro Amigos yesterday, the other thing that uh, Neil talked, Neil Shore, I should say, we're talking about, um, who's a very exper- experienced clinical trialist and a uh, good friend of ours and uh, spoke very well about it, but he was asked, uh, what next uh, on the podcast? So what are the lessons from this? Because the conclusions are pretty optimistic about it, you know, and I should say this paper was written by medical writers employed by the company. Three of the authors are employed by the company. Um, and they wrote that the conclusion and relevance, the results of this randomized trial suggest that enzalutamide was well tolerated. I don't know how, how you would agree with that, to be honest with you, um, compared to just doing nothing. And demonstrate, it's not like you're comparing with chemo, you're comparing with just yeah. be, be normal. Um, uh, and demonstrate a significant treatment response in patients with low risk or intermediate risk cancer. And again, that's back to the endpoint thing. Would we all agree that's a significant treatment response? I'm not sure. And finally, this is the bit enzalutamide may provide an alternative treatment option for men uh, undergoing AS. Um, which has got a lot of reaction on Twitter because most of us would feel that is not an appropriate conclusion from a, a paper of this nature. But when Neil was asked um, where to next for this, because that question about, for example, is one year enough, as you talked about earlier, Matt, and, and so on, um, here's what he had to say to your amigos. A, should we give the therapy longer? No. B, is enzalutamide the best AR pathway inhibitor to give long term please don't do this in another um, drug c how do you balance longer utilization with the ae profile More and um, also is there another way to administer an ar pathway inhibitor to the prostate other than giving it uh, orally systemically and he goes on uh. to talk about a trial he's running where you inject little pellets of AR blocker into the prostate. I really, I was asked to do that, so, so I don't think that's a good idea. But Matt, you mentioned earlier, maybe you're doing that as well. But anyway, the point is, or, or, yeah. or E, no, A, B, C, D, E, E, don't do anything else. Just put them on active surveillance. Maybe why don't you fund psychology and uh, support groups for patients or websites that make you feel more confident and uh, then your quality of life will be not impaired by this freaking, you know, quite significant um, and side effects of enzalutamide. Matt. <laughs> I mean, look, if I had the pharma budget to direct, you know, where I would, the world would look very different. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, and, and, and like I said, I, I, you know, we, we have done that grant and, yep. you know, it was positive and it was wonderful and it had no impact on community care whatsoever. So, you know, and again, am I, am I arguing this should become a community standard? Not at all. And I don't, you know, like the, the paper's written the way it's written and the conclusion is what it is. I, you know, I, I would be very surprised if this really does drive practice in its current form. Um, I do think this notion of locally delivering biologics um, to the prostate is actually very interesting. It's a, it's a breast oncology colleague of mine here that, that has uh, launched this, Penn Munster. Um, it's, you know, the trials are actually happening in Australia. There's this company that Neil mentioned has spun off from it. And there's actually a lot of appeal to that concept of, of local pharmaceutical delivery, avoiding all the side effects we've been talking about um, and giving it over time through a controlled release. You know, this becomes another form of focal therapy, um, which, you know, in theory could actually stand up pretty well against some of the other ones that are out there. So I mean, that's, that's much further upstream. What you mentioned earlier is focal therapy, like being one of these things that people are doing as a crutch for active surveillance. Yeah. So isn't this yeah. objectable? It's the same thing. In the right patient, I mean, we're doing more like more both centers. Sort of. We're increasing our focal program, but it's we're very selective about it. It's great group twos. It's MR visible. We're ultrasound visible. Um, it is you know putting genomics on everybody, et cetera. There, there is obviously clearly there is a band of patients who will benefit from something in between active surveillance and radical whole therapy, right? Um, 
in the context of a practice which is very comfortable with active surveillance, is systemic enzalutamide the answer? No. In the context of a practice which is otherwise treating all these men with irreversible whole gland therapy, should they just adopt active surveillance? Yes, of course they should. And we should see a 95% national adoption rate for AS, but we don't have that. So is this a crutch? Or is it a mechanism for, you know, for someone to allay anxiety, et cetera? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. It is not, you know, it is not the worst. And again, I, you know, this is not something that fits into the UCSF paradigm or I think any of our, our academic paradigms here. Um, but relative to everything else happening for prostate cancer, I mean, I, you hate to endorse a trial by saying it's not the worst thing out there, but it is by far not the worst thing out there in my view. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. You know, you compare this to. It's pretty bad, though. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it's systemic. Yeah. It's, I, it's, it's, it's up there. It's up it's there. It's up there. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's a shame, though, isn't it? Because, you know, uh, patients who have low risk and, and favorable intermediate risk uh, prostate cancer, they're sort of this, they're this sacred pool of patients where we can actively do no harm. And we really should be putting our efforts into improving active surveillance uptake, yes. seeing what we can do for patients to retain them in active surveillance, uh, improving their education, managing their expectations and their anxieties. Yes. Reassure them. The that effort needs to be on us as doctors but, rather but than... I'm on record. I, we just wrote the editorial saying we shouldn't even call these things cancers. That's okay, so, exactly. You know, yeah. Right. But that's not... That. But that is... That is not yet the world we're living in, you know, as much as, as much as I want it to be. Yeah. Not sure is this helping. Um, this that's, a, that's the thing. In a time when we're arguing whether Gregory one is even cancer, yeah. so if this someone, doesn't help the yeah. cause. If someone comes in next week uh, into the clinic, Matt, and says, oh, Dr. Cooperberg, you know, I've got two, I've got, well, actually, you have to have three cords. I've got four cords of great group one prostate cancer. My PSA is 5.8. I'm 66. I'm eating two criteria. I've got the money. Uh, I would like to have enzalutamide. What, you know, what, do you, what do you say to that patient? He's going to walk out on active surveillance, and I can tell you that with 100% confidence based on... But you know, Matt, you did mention uh, in some of your But again, that's my program. We've, yeah. we, we've been doing this longer than anybody. Um, I mean, um, um, Matt, so, you did mention in one of your tweets that you, you could see the rare clinical scenario where this would be useful. Yeah. What, what, what would be an example of, of one of those? You know, the fact is, as much as we've been talking about these AEs, and they're not insubstantial, they are reversible, you know, which is not something that can be said for the... AEs from surgery and radiation therapy and even focal. Um, so, you know, somebody with, you know, high volume, really high volume grade group one or limited pre group two, who is, you know, for whom active surveillance is a temporary proposition. You know, I, I talked to these men when they're younger that the question of treatment is when, not if, you know, when maybe way down the road, but it is when, not if. Um, and, you know, for some, and who are still a few years away from coming to terms with a treatment decision, you know, could this be a way of kicking that can down the road? Potentially for a very selected subset of men, you know, somebody for whom surveillance, maybe somebody with a high genomic score as well, you know, where we're really kind of teetering on the suitability of, of AS. Um, you know, is the insulin going to cure the cancer? Absolutely not. Is it going to, you know, solve all the problems? Absolutely not. But to, from the standpoint of managing, and am I likely to do this? Probably not. Um, is the reality, but I can see certainly plenty of contexts where the reality is the urologists are still not comfortable doing this. They should be, but they're not. You know, the patient should be comfortable, but they're not. And we're not, we can launch websites, you know, for the next 20 years and we're not going to solve community variation here. Um, you know, is this a way of buying time? Maybe. 
I it, thought active surveillance was it, a way of buying time. <laughs> Keith, <laughs> what, what yes. five, fi- final thoughts on this? I, I thought Matt would roll back in. He did a bit, but he didn't. And he <laughs> I thought he'd roll back in a bit and said, no, You're very brave, Matt. Sh- I thought he would say, this should only be done in a clinical trial <laughs> ever. This trial is not good enough. So, uh, I, don't think this is, I don't think this would be approvable. I, don't, I can't imagine an insurance company covering it based on this, this phase too, at least not in the US. Yeah, the problem is sometimes uh, people will go around that and, you know, off trial or yeah, overseas. And, yeah, that's right. Uh, um, Look, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is not we can, the we can talk about patients flying, and, flying and, you know. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, in the what next, uh, yeah. actually, uh, Neil mentioned he has a trial ongoing where they're doing the same population, but they're giving them sipulusal. Yeah. So that one, we can come oh, back no. and talk about that one when it oh, comes no. out. I will say one thing for that one, which is that the concept with immunotherapy has always been bending the growth curve in the long term, as opposed to therapy. Oh, God. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'll tell you a story about that one. Are you on that trial? He's on that trial as well, Oh, Keith. no, man. I'll tell you a story about that I one. I know. Yeah, he's not, he's, he's not that on. is a longer story, actually. And I, and I think I was under the impression that's a while away from publication, actually. But, uh, okay. Um, okay, good. We have anyway. time but to recover. But I just don't get it. I mean, it we're, we're trying to tell patients that this is not cancer, that this is safe. And we're right. talking about giving them Provenge. You, you know, right. it's, it's it, and enzalutamide. Like, these are for advanced metastatic patients. Yeah. And then we're leaving out well, the patient. That, okay. Uh, well, they are. Pro, so Provenge, I mean, this is a whole different conversation, but I mean, you know, Provenge, the, the advent of the trial we were really advocating for with Provenge was a bigger neoadjuvant. We ran a small neoadjuvant BCSF years ago uh, that did show pathologic effects. You know, bigger neoadjuvant in high-risk disease makes a lot of sense. So the earlier you're using neotherapy, the better. This is a whole different conversation. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, we're talking about active surveillance population here, and, and this this cohort in, in, in yeah. ACT was 80% low risk, yeah. right? And I yeah. think the, it's this intermediate risk cohort that we really struggle with. You know, the ones yeah. who are teetering on treatment, high PSA right. densities, IRADS five lesions, maybe they have gen- high genomic scores or something like that. I, I think yeah. that's where you might potentially have a space for something like this, where you really don't want to go towards therapy. But still, this was an eighty percent low risk cohort, and I just, again, I just worry what this is telling patients and what this is telling community doctors. You know, they're not all going to have this conversation and they're going to see this in JAMA oncology uh, as a phase two trial, you know. And the, pro- and the problem with how this paper is written is they, they keep mentioning uh, active surveillance augmented by enzalutamide. Active yeah. surveillance yeah. plus enzalutamide. <laughs> yeah. You know, one negates the other. It's, it's not active surveillance. It's not, no yeah, longer it's active, active surveillance. I mean, active uh, treatment. I wouldn't, argue, I wouldn't argue about that at all. Yeah. Uh, I, that was written uh, by the, the only... I would say the only caveat to that being, if you th- if you do take redeem as the as the you know comparative standard here, you know, is dutasteride treatment probably not, you know, but it's obviously different, you know, very different drug, different side effect profile. Is that still surveillance if you're on dutasteride? We all say yes. Um, I'm probably one of relatively few people that will actually use it sometimes in in the AS setting if patients got a lot of leps and the PSA out of proportion to their pathologic findings. Um, but in redeem the yeah. adverse, you know, the adverse events were way lower. Of course, it's, 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 like it's high yeah, of course, mm. of course, of course, so. of course. It's a totally different thing, Let's and but it's also long-term therapy. Shall we finally hear what did Vinay? He had one more thing I wanted to share with you. I would encourage Pfizer Does to he get the get last your ill-gotten gain some other way. You know, um, <laughs> you don't need to go after the active surveillance population. I guess the takeaway point is obviously this is stupid. Obviously, nobody should be on a horrifically expensive anti-cancer medicine. Hundreds of people taking a horrifically expensive anti-cancer medicine. So a few people someday, years down the road, don't need some other treatment. That's a silly, silly proposition.
Yeah, kind of agree. Yeah. What do you reckon, uh, Declan? Uh, Active surveillance augmented by a couple of shots of Letitia I think just I'm a very simple person. Uh, Keith said he likes reading <laughs> simple things. Go. I just think active surveillance <laughs> is active surveillance. If a patient's eligible, they should be on active surveillance. None of yeah. this augmented uh, stuff like that. But um, there you go. And look, uh, but look, thanks, Matt. Uh, thanks, Matt, for, for coming on. And um, uh, I can, you know, there's the usual opprobrium on Twitter. It's all very imbalanced as well. Some of it. So it's great to have you on, of course, as a valued uh, investigator expert in this field and um, just uh, yeah, a great friend of, the, of us and the podcast to talk about it and uh, I think it's helped a bit but I don't think it'll it helps me um, change my view on this that yeah this is terrible you know uh, I personally don't think there's any forward message on it I think active surveillance is active surveillance and I do worry a little bit that this might lead to some patients being harmed because it might raise some expectations that's my, my and personal in fact you can use that second uh, graph and the si- and the toxicity table to really talk patients into active surveillance I mean that's that's the that's only positive you, I think you can really kind of take away and I'm now getting more anxious about these other trials that we're probably going to yeah. have to deal with as well but I don't active surveillance patients should not be having any sort of intervention let alone active surveillance augmented but uh, Keith your your final words on it I mean I think I've said what I have to say I mean I just think this might be a slippery slope um I know you know it's, it's a phase two open trial label just to see open label trial just to see you know is there an alternative to community apparent from what I'm what I'm gathering is that the authors want to know how to re- increase community uptake of active surveillance, and apparently that's giving enzalutamide possibly or something like it. And I just, even though I don't think it's exploratory, you know, you, you publish this in JAMA Oncology, and that's going to go a far way in, in, in some people. And again, it's a slippery slope. I, I'm sorry, but I, I don't trust pharma here. Um, why why would they be doing this study other than to push it through the phase three and trying to get FDA approval? I, that's just my opinion. And, and I'm worried that we, I, I don't question the ethics of any of these authors. They're all very smart people, and, and it was IRB approved. But we're really on the line of do no harm here. And you know, I think these patients were harmed. And I look, they signed informed consent, and that's fine. But I, 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 Matt, I love you, but I don't want you to involved in any more of these studies. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Look, thanks Wise so much. Thank, Let's th- leave them alone. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, thanks very much to both of you, gents. Hopefully, we'll see you around in person soon. Are we going to see Matt next week? Are we? Yeah, you see you soon, yeah. Matt. See you next week. <laughs> Matt. Yeah, we'll great buy to you, see you, Keith. We'll, we'll, uh, we, yeah, we will buy you a beer after this. Yeah, great. <laughs> enact. Maybe, uh, maybe don't enact. What's the don't enact. Don't enact. That's don't it. Enact. Hashtag don't enact is going out on this one. Uh, but thanks very much to Matt and uh, Keith Walchik for uh, joining us to talk about this today. Uh, we'll be back with you again very soon with some conference reporting uh, from USENS and from EAU in the next couple of weeks. Thanks very much and goodbye.